1: Philippians chapter four. This is the co- concluding chapter of this very joyous letter of Paul the apostle to the church at Philippi. And I think we don't need any kind of review from last week. We're just going to jump right in in chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. So what's that right there? It's a whole paragraph and it's an expression of his love for this congregation. And that's what a pastor or a minister of any kind ought to have towards a, a congregation over which they have any responsibilities whatsoever. He didn't refer to them as anything other than dearly beloved and it's entirely truthful. It's entirely truthful. He didn't treat them like, how do I put this? He didn't treat them like his own personal herd of cattle off of which he lived he treated them like the family that they were dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown he refers to them as his joy and his crown what does that mean why does he call them why does he call them his crown well because they were the evidence of his ministry he certainly ministered unto them as he did to many churches, the church in Thessalonica, the churches in Ephesus, or excuse me, the churches in Galatia, the church in Ephesus, the church in Corinthians, the church in Rome, these various congregations that he reached out to uh, by written word to edify them and to instruct them. So well, what was it like when they actually got these letters? Is that something that I, either, any of us have ever thought of? I remember seeing a, a woodcut engraving of an artistic expression of uh, an ancient pastor in the ancient church reading one of the letters aloud to the congregation. I really think that it was a lot like that. You have to remember that 2,000 years ago in other parts of the world, literacy literacy was, was far from universal. And a lot of people, I mean, they spoke and understood their language. That was pretty much universal. But as far as being able to read or write, comparatively, few people had that skill comparatively few people had that skill and so when these letters were delivered these pastors would would in front of their congregations read the letters aloud verbatim they would read them to the congregation and so we get that same benefit today verse 2 he says i beseech Eudaius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the lord and i entreat thee also true yoke fellow help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Now, why does he bring this up? And this is something to just clear up right away. Just touch on this, move on. The concluding chapters of a lot of Paul's letters, or the, the, or the different apostles' letters, are a little bit lighter on doctrine and instruction and are a little heavier on greetings, salutations. You have to remember these were letters. These weren't textbooks. Okay, so they weren't written like textbooks. They were written like a letter. They were written out in script. The verse and chapter numbers, those were added by translators uh, many, 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 many years later uh, as these uh, came to light and were compiled and assembled and so on and translated into different languages. So these were written as letters. And so here's the personal touch that you don't get with a textbook or that you don't get with a technical manual, how to be a Christian, you know, in big industrial print. How to be a Christian. You know, there's people that have written books like that in the ages since, but this is a letter. It's personal, and so it has this personal touch to it. I beseech Udias, who is that? We don't really know. And Syntyche, who was that? We don't really know. But they were evidently fellow laborers and fellow believers within the body of Christ. He beseeched them that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. It's important that we remember those that are helpful. Paul didn't forget he was mindful of those who had labored with him. He was mindful of those that had done uh, seemingly anything at all to help in the furtherance of the gospel, whether it was pushing a broom, whether it was unlocking a door, whether it was bringing people to church, whether it was cleaning something, whether it was making something, whether it was anything at all that was a blessing to the other members of the body of Christ. And he even calls specifically, he says, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. That doesn't sound sexist. That sounds like being mindful of all of the souls that were busy in the work of the Lord, men and women this was one of the earliest examples of elevating women, and of uh, and and putting you know, shining a light on their labors and their role within the church. So it's important; it's noteworthy to at least bring that out in passing, if not in depth. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and my other fellow laborers whose names are in the Book of Life. The, not enough paper and not enough time, probably, to write down everybody's name who was a help. And, and time often fails to to give vocal thanks and and uh, and and praise of those who labor in front of everybody else I understand that recognition in front of one's peers can sometimes be an important thing but if you're not mentioned for something that you've done if you are not personally thanked or something for something for something that you have done it's not because it has not been noticed and your name is is written down in something far more important than the bible and the bible is of ultimate importance but there's a book that transcends it and that's the lamb's book of life because there's a lot of sinners names written down in this book too wicked evil men alexander the coppersmiths the first one that comes to mind people that act they weren't just evil they were enemies of the gospel itself and they have fought and they put they opposed the church and so To have our name in the Lamb's book of life, that's where we want to be. That's absolutely where we want to be. It's good to have it in the guest book. It's good to have it in a letter from the apostle. But it's best to have it in the book of life. Then you know. Then you know you're going to where we want to go to. Verse 4, he begins some instruction. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice let your moderation be known unto all men the Lord is at hand why does he bring that up well first of all let's look at that injunction to rejoice sometimes we have to remind ourselves to do that especially we're in the midst of something that's rough we're going through a rough patch in life. We're going from one rough patch to another rough patch. And somebody, sometimes you may go through a space of years in your Christian life where it seems like you're just going from one rough patch into another rough patch and you've got barely a space to breathe between those two rough patches. But he reminds us to rejoice in the midst of that. Rejoice in your trial, rejoice in in the sick relative, rejoice in the dysfunctional home, rejoice in in the midst of it. I mean, you don't rejoice because of it. Who in the world wants to live in the midst of that? But in the midst of that, you have God on your side. Rejoice. Rejoice, because I guarantee you there are a billion people in the world that are in a situation worse even than yours. I'm not making light of anybody's situation. No battle is small to the person who is facing it. And that's a fact. That is a true fact as opposed to a false fact. No battle is small to the one that's in it. But you've got to remember, there's somebody that's got it way worse even than you. There are people that are locked up in institutions. There's a brother in the Lord right now that I'm thinking of who's serving a life sentence up in Torrington right now. And he's been in lockup for 30 years. He said, well, how is that possible? He's a brother. Well, he got saved after he committed the crime that landed him there. And so he's there right now. I've met with him and it was it was good fellowship. It really was. And he shared shared some things with me that were a real blessing. Someone's got it worse. So, well, I've got health problems. I know. I know someone who's got worse health problems. I know a lady's got MS. I know a brother's got MS unless he's been healed. And other things as well. We met a lady who lost, rec- or uh, some years ago, lost her husband, I think, to ALS or a grandfather or something like that. What's that? That's Lou Gehrig's disease. That's a disease that just robs you of your body while your mind stays completely intact. There are others suffering from enter- other things like Alzheimer's, dementia, things like that that take your mind but leave your body alone. And so, or, more or less. So, someone's got it worse. Well, I'm broke. I don't have any money. Okay. But you have a job, and that means that there's going to be money on payday, right? We know people that haven't been able to find work for a year. They've got advanced degrees that are of absolutely liberal arts degree. I I always laugh when I hear that. I've got a liberal arts degree. What the world are you going to do with that? What is that even worth in a job market? I don't know. Other than for some company that's just looking to hire someone who has any kind of a degree at all. you know, And there, there are those as well at least you've got a job and some money. And so while you may not be filthy rich, you have resources to work with. And there's an apostolic lesson in that. I'm not talking about a denomination of people, I'm talking about a lesson that pertains to the apostles themselves. Be thou content with such things as ye have. You're in the richest nation in the history of the human race. Your situation can change one way or another in a moment, either by the hand of God or by the hand of God, opening up a door for your own hands to work and actually fix a situation. It can go either way and either way, God gets the glory. And so remind yourself when you're deep down, I mean, deep down in just feeling, feeling pity or sorry for yourself, and I'm not trying to use that in a lecturing tone at all, but I don't know another phrase to describe the same thing. When you're in the midst of your self pity or of bemoaning your particular circumstances, whatever they are, remind yourself Philippians 4, verse 4 Rejoice evermore. Well, preacher, you don't understand. It can't get any worse. It can. It can. There is always something stupid that a person can do to make their situation even worse than it already is. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, hard times can be a bottomless pit, but there is always a ladder out of that pit. You know, just don't do anything that's going to make your situation worse. Don't have, don't have the teenage mentality or the first term, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the the young GI mentality of, oh well this has gone wrong, so I may as well just go for broke. It's like no, no, no. Remember that message we preached it a few months back? The fine art of making things worse? That was from ancient Egypt. You know, Moses came in there with his his rod and he stood before Pharaoh and he performed a couple of miracles before Pharaoh and these stupid magicians that were working for Pharaoh stepped up and like did the same things. It's like, no, that's not a good idea because then they started mimicking the plagues. Do you remember that? It's like, oh, wow, thanks for adding more plague to Egypt. We really appreciate that just to prove that you guys have power too. It's like, no, they don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. If you're in a bad spot in life, start doing the things. Rejoice, first of all, because that sets your mind in the right frame, right? That sets your mind into an attitude of thankfulness for the good things that you do have. It, It puts your mind in the right frame right off the bat to be grateful for the things that you do have and to anticipate better days that are ahead. There are always better days ahead. And that's something the devil never wants any of us to remember. He wants you to think that as bad as things are right now, man, that they're not going to get better. So we'll preach I'm not getting any younger. He neither am I. Rejoice. That's the first thing you do. Remember to rejoice. Remember to pray without ceasing. Remember, even if you can't think of anything at all that that's good to thank God for, you just get on your knees and just say, I'm thanking you anyway. Because I know that right now I'm in the midst of my battle. And I just want to give you thanks that I'm not dead already, or that I'm not dying of some kind of horrible disease, or that I have food in the refrigerator, even if it's just a few eggs, and, and, and amen, and, uh, and some orange juice, and a loaf of bread that I got free from the power company because I moved to town. Start by being thankful and rejoicing. So I don't have anything at all good to be thankful for. Then thank God for the things that are bad. Really. You know, this is just some cute trick. You're trying to be cute. No, I'm dead serious. Thank God for the things that are bad. Okay, the cold that's got you feeling miserable. Thank God for it. Not because it's from him, but because it's going to work for your good. Thank God for your injury. Thank God for the wrecked car. Thank God for uh, for the job that you lost for whatever reason, whether it was your fault or whether it wasn't your fault. Thank God for it. Just say, I don't, Father, I'm thanking you for it. I don't like it and I don't want it, but I'm thanking you for it. Because you're going to do something. You're already doing something good with this situation. Some people, it was the catastrophe in their life that brought them to the cross of Christ. That brought them to salvation. Thank God for the catastrophes that, that, that bring that, that sort of thing to pass. That bring us to repentance and that bring us, and even after repentance, that just, Remind us to be dependent upon Him. He wants us to be dependent upon Him. Casting all your cares upon Him, the Apostle said, for He careth for you. Well, some people never do cast their cares upon Him because they just handle everything themselves. They're self made men, self made women. I don't need anything from anybody. I don't need. I and mean, we can go in different directions with that. But. He wants us to depend on him. He wants us to. And he's made that clear in more than one place. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's how emphatic Paul was about it here in this verse. And in verse five, he says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now he brings up moderations. Let your moderation be known. Well, we know what moderation speaks of. It speaks of self-control. It speaks of not indulging in anything in, I don't say at great lengths, in, in, to extents that are not wise or are not healthy, right? Now, food is good. Everybody loves food for the most part, but gluttony isn't good. You know what happens if you eat too much of something? or if you're not necessarily eating too much of something all at once but if you're like one of those people that eats nine meals and 27 snacks a day you know it's like there's a couple of different kinds of gluttony right the point of gluttony is to avoid it what's gluttony is simply being a slave to a knife and fork it's like you live to eat instead of eating to live there's a difference in in a state of mind there okay food can actually become an addiction as well and the evidence of gluttony isn't always being overweight some of the most gluttonous people around are skinny. Don't know why. Maybe they just got those crazy metabolisms. I don't know what the, what, 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 the, what the deal is there. But he says to let your moderation be known to all men. Let your moderation not running to extremes of things. Now, I'm not talking about extremes of serving God. You know, it's like, oh, well, I only go to church once a month because I don't want folks to think that I'm extreme and going to church. It's like, no, 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 no. We've got three services and a Bible study every week, and every single one of them is a blessing. And there's something you get. There's something you you can get different every single time. Well, I've heard it all, preacher. Okay, but maybe you didn't hear it when you needed to hear it. There's a lot of it is reminding, right? Reminding you at the right time when you're In a particular situation or you're at a particular crossroads in your life, you need to hear something. It's something you've always known, but then you get reminded of it at just the right time. And all the lights come on and all the fog dispels and there's clarity of mind and a purpose and so on. He says, let your moderation be known unto all men rather than be an addict to something rather than being known for going to extremes in everything that you do. Well, an obsession with something shows a lack of moderation in something right? Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And then he says in verse six, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now here's a paragraph that that needs some attention. This needs some picking apart here. He says, be careful for nothing. Now you take the word careful and you break it down to its component parts. in its original meaning means to be full of care, right? To be careful, something that is full of care. So when you ran outside to jump on your brand new bicycle when you were a kid and race off into traffic, your mother hollered after you, be careful. Be full of care about what you're doing. Don't be reckless, don't be dangerous. Don't, uh, don't go right in traffic. He tells us here to be careful for nothing. It doesn't mean to not be cautious, but he means to not be filled with care, concern, and anxiety about things. Show me a Christian that is full of care about everything, who's stressing out all of the time, never has peace in their life, never has peace in their heart, And I'm showing you someone who is missing one of the biggest boats in life. Peace. Now, this is a big deal. This is a very big deal nowadays because we are more stressed as a society today than we probably... I I, I can't say than we ever have been. I wasn't alive in 1776. I imagine there were quite a few stresses going on there, too. But, you know, the average farmer didn't care a whole lot one way or the other. You know, they just kept on farming like they always did. But life now has become so complicated and has become so busy and has become so breakneck in its pace that there are people, psychologists, that have written books about this sort of thing, about the acceleration of everything. It's like every new innovation that we make to try to give ourselves some breathing room in the midst of our lives it's like we don't use it to get breathing room. We use it to cram more productivity into a day. And companies promote this sort of thing. And they, they wear their employees out, and that's no new thing. I mean, the Industrial Revolution really kind of brought in that dehumanizing of labor, and there, were, there was some bad stuff that came out of that. But, you know, it counterbalanced itself, or some people balanced it out with some other things later on. Christians are supposed to be the most at peace people around. In spite of our trials, which everybody has, Christian or not, in spite of even persecutions, we're supposed to be more at peace than anyone because we have the God of peace. And we know that however our life may be in this life, at the end of this thing, when it's all over with, we step into eternity and into the presence of god and it's not just a peace based on someday it'll all be over but it's a peace knowing that god is with us even now and that god uses all things for our good so well why is that such a big deal because people are always looking for it they're looking for peace they're looking for peace and having failed to find it they're looking for it in well, they're looking for it now in any number of things. You know, people have always sought peace in money and wealth You know, because they, the, the predominant belief there is that you know, if I have enough money, then I don't have any worries in this life. And even the Bible says that money answers all things. It doesn't say that it's the right answer. It just says that it, it answers all things. OK, so people look for peace in money and they look for peace in status and they look for peace in relationships, usually relationships of the heart. They look for peace in all of that. They look for peace in possessions. And then, okay, well, we've been very materialistic in our society for decades, decades decades now really ramped up in the 1950s after World War II with all the baby boomers being born and there was prosperity in the country and so we pursued wealth and we pursued a degree of materialism and then the fruits of that that were sown in the 1950s really kind of bore those bore fruit in the 1970s what they called the me decade okay really you look at the look at the snapshot of this window of time and you can see how it is but you have got to look at history in order to actually see it at work. And so the 1970s, we saw a lot of materialism and uh, a lot of just very selfish behavior going on, and uh, divorce rates began to skyrocket because people's priorities priorities were getting more and more skewed. That peaked in the 1980s. I think right around 50% in the 1980s began to decline after that, but for different reasons. And it continued on through the 1990s. And so the, the fruits of these seeds of looking for peace in all of the wrong things have now, the seeds, they've borne fruit now. Now people are looking into Eastern religions that never used to have any kind of a presence on the American continent. Now they're looking for it, and this began probably in the, it began in the late 1960s and, and carried on the way all the way through the 70s, 80s, 90s, people looking into different things. Now they're looking they're looking to Buddhism, they're looking to uh, uh, Hinduism or at least certain parts of Hinduism because that's just a huge pantheon right there of all kinds of stuff that's in it, none of it good. They're looking to uh, more modified, westernized uh, derivations of those things. So they're practicing meditation, And they're practicing all these other things that maybe in and of themselves on the surface, they don't seem like bad things. But when there's no God in it, then there's no truth in it. And it doesn't have, it might have some very limited practical value, but all of it's just coping mechanisms to deal with the crushing, suffocating pressures of life. Paul says, be careful For nothing. Don't worry about it. Be at peace. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So, what's he telling you to do? Well, just to put it in the modern vernacular, he's telling all of us to just relax, take a breath. Remember that usually only one thing can go wrong at a time, right? Or or, let me rephrase that. Not every horrible thing that you think might happen can happen. Certainly not all at the same time. Your house can't burn to the ground and be flooded, right? You can't be shot dead and also die of cancer. But he tells us here, and then he gives us the formula for it, okay? He gives us the secret to it. It says, be careful for nothing, okay? That's the command. Be careful for nothing. Don't be full of care. Don't be full of anxiety. Don't be full of fear, okay? But in everything, and then he says, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. There it is. So he says, be careful for nothing, and then he tells us what to do. Don't be full of care and anxiety and fear, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Don't leave the thanksgiving out of it. So tie that in with the rejoicing forevermore. And again, I say rejoice. Okay, tie that all together with by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. So this is what strips the whole thing about, oh, I never pray for myself because that just seems selfish. Well, then you're going against the Bible. Because the Bible even tells us explicitly right here, as well as in other places, he tells us right here, let your requests be made known unto God. Let your requests be made known unto God. Let your requests be made known unto God. So what's stopping? You? What's stopping us? What's stopping us from taking that Problem, no matter how small or no matter how large. Like some people's unbelief depends on the size of their problem. Some people only believe God for huge things. But they don't, they don't believe him at all for little things. And then some people only believe God for the little things. It's like they don't dare bring him anything large because they've been taught that miracles don't happen anymore and that the gifts of the Spirit aren't for us anymore and that God doesn't do this sort of thing anymore. He's just kind of set the ball spinning and then he's gone off to do his own thing and he can't be bothered with big stuff. But Jesus said, if you say unto this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. It's gonna happen. I can't think of much bigger than that. Maybe if you say unto the moon be thou removed, that's bigger than a mountain. But please don't do that. Okay? Because you will seriously whack the whole planet out. Okay. You wanna talk about the lefties going completely nuts on climate change and all of that. That would just, that's next level right there. And I don't want to know what Al Gore will try to do with that. So let's just not even create that situation. So he tells us to make our requests, let our requests be made known unto God and verse seven and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We're going to conclude the teaching with this part of the paragraph. Okay. So we'll finish up this chapter and this letter next week. I didn't say we were going to finish. If you do this, if you do what he says here in verses four, five and six, then verse seven is going to come into play. Verse seven is going to activate in your life and it's going to bring things under. I don't to say bring things under control. It might not be the, the, the right way to express it necessarily, the most accurate way to express it. But if you rejoice in the Lord always, if you rejoice, if you remember to rejoice and let your moderation be known unto all men, not getting crazy and extreme with the different things that you allow in your life. OK, and to be careful for nothing. And you remember to by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, you'll let your requests be made known unto God. Then the peace of God, he says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding. The peace of God does that. The peace of God doesn't care about your circumstances. Doesn't mean it's not concerned about your circumstances. Just means that the peace of God is unaffected by your circumstances. The peace of God which passes all understanding. So, what else does that speak to? What, what else does that refer to? When the peace of God rules and reigns in your life, you cannot attribute that peace to temporal matters. Oh, I'm at peace because I've got $10 million in the bank. If you do, don't forget to pay your tithe. But you don't attribute your peace to the money that you have in the bank. And you don't attribute your peace to your successful career. You don't attribute your peace even to things that we, because those are things we tend to pick on as Christians because they become people's false gods, right? But you don't even attribute your peace to the good things that you have in life a happy marriage, a healthy family. These are good things. We're not knocking them. But your peace isn't contingent upon those things. So why is that so important? Because the family is not always healthy, is it? It isn't. And the marriage isn't always happy, is it? And I'm not asking that, the hoping for a response, okay? just that These are the challenges of life, okay? You know, and there's not always money in the bank. It takes one catastrophe that can clean you out. And so, if your peace is hanging on anything else, it's not the peace of God, because that kind of peace isn't, uh, does not surpass all understanding. But the peace of God does, because the peace of God is transcendent. The peace of God is is comes from heaven. It is from God, and it is not subject to these earthly things. It might put a dent in it, but you pray. And you remember where your peace comes from. And you remember that your peace is not contingent upon these things. And you let that peace. He says, if you do these things, he said that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God will do it. So, brothers, sisters, rejoice. Always. Always, no matter what you're going through, rejoice. Rejoice evermore. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Be careful for nothing, but in prayer and in supplication, which speaks of submission. It doesn't mean that, but it it carries that connotation with it, I believe. Prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let every request you have be made known unto God. It doesn't say that he's going to grant them all immediately, but let them be made known unto God and his peace will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So there's a real teaching in that. And it can be challenging to remember it, especially in the acute moments of something going wrong in your life. Or seemingly going wrong in life, taking a left turn or a right turn when you really thought it was just going to go straight on and continue. But remember and practice it. So, all this teaching does no good if we don't put it to work, implement it in your life, make it happen. So, well, I've tried it before and it failed. That goes back to the previous chapter about pressing on toward the mark. You try again. And you try it again, and then you try it again. So we'll have tried rejoicing, and I just couldn't rejoice in the midst of it. Well, don't worry. There's another battle coming around and another opportunity to rejoice in the midst of it. Right? And if you can't laugh at yourself and your own experiences, who can you laugh at? Well, it's the same battle, Preacher. Maybe it's going to be the same battle until we learn to rejoice in that particular battle. I don't know. I'm not going to speak too dogmatically on that. But sometimes that's the way it is, too. It's like, I'm not going to let you out of the furnace, son, until you learn to rejoice even in the midst of this thing. Okay, well, let's learn. Let's practice it. Rejoice. Pray. Do so without ceasing. Let our requests be made known unto God. Let our moderation be known unto all men. And then see if that peace of God doesn't actually kick in and rule and reign in our hearts. And keep our hearts and minds. And that's that's the thing right there. It just keep your heart. He'll keep your mind too. And we need that kept, amen. You only got one of these things. It needs to last you the rest of your life. So let the peace of God reign.
0: Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash CheyenneWY-giving.